All right, y'all. Well, let's go ahead and get going. In case I haven't met you yet, my name is Johnny. I'm one of the elders here. serve as an assistant pastor here at the church. Um, and so this, what we've been going through, we've been going through a class called Foundations where we've just been walking through sort of essential doctrines in the Bible and just kind of walking systematically through them. And so where we find ourselves this morning is we're going to be talking about uh, how mankind is created in God's image. So we'll spend a lot of our time talking, yeah, thinking about creation and the way that we're described in God's image, but then also how all of Scripture sort of unpacks it and how we see uh, really the fullness of the image of God explained in the New Testament. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing this morning. Um, before we do that, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll get going, okay? Let's pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we, um, you know, we f- first and foremost, we, we praise you that you have, you have spoken to us uh, with clarity and, and told us who we are. Uh, Lord, we would be so confused um, trying to figure that question out. Uh, without your guidance, we, um, yeah, we even see how how quickly we get it wrong when we don't listen to how you've told us that you've made us. Uh, so, Lord, we pray that as we come to your word this morning, that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, you would help me uh, speak through me uh, with clarity. Help me, aid me, aid all of us in our understanding. Lord, that we would not just believe rightly, but Lord, that we would, we would live rightly before you, that we would give honor and glory to your name in the way that we uh, think about ourselves in relation to you and in relation to one another. So Lord, we ask that you would receive glory this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, so yeah, what... As we've, as we've sort of alluded to, um, yeah, this this question of, or this this idea of man being created in God's image, it it gets at the very heart of really a question that humans have asked throughout all of the ages. It's just yeah, the question of who am I, right? So we've we've heard of of many people throughout the centuries. Um, asking this profound question. It's not just Christians who ask this question. It's not just really religious people who ask this question. It's everybody who's ever lived. We've, we all ask that question of, who am I? Where, where am I? Where am I going? What's my purpose? And so this, uh, this doctrine, this teaching of the Christian faith that man is created in God's image is the way that Christianity explains who we are inherently. Um, yeah, and, and like I said, it's, it's not just Christians who, who talk about this reality. Just, just one recent example, um, the Wall Street Journal, I think it was about a year ago, they ran a, an article talking about um, yeah, how uh, MBA students at Columbia University, they had hired this spiritual guru. His name is um, uh, Deepak Chopra, if anyone, if anyone knows who's who's that is, but uh, the article talked about how Deepak had all the students, they had their 
laptops and computers and cell phones all stashed away to the side. And uh, Deepak is up in the front of the room leading them and, and saying, all right, close your eyes, turn, turn your analytical skills inward towards your heart and, and think and, and ponder the question, who am I? I want you to think about that question. And so you just see, like even Ivy League school institutions, the, the, the sort of training centers of, of the intellectual elite, as it were, still want to know a satisfying answer to this question of who am I? What, what is my purpose? Why am I here? So, so we're going to be talking about that this morning. And I, I think it's good for us to note that where we look to answer that question and how we answer that question, yeah, where we look to answer that question is going to affect how we answer that question. So rather than sort of turning our analytical skills inward, like Deepak would have his students do, I'd say that the answer to the question of who we are is, is not really inside of us. It's, it's actually outside of us. Um, it, so, so we look to God to answer that question. We, we look to his word to, to guide our thinking on this. So with all of that being said, let's turn to the book of Genesis. And, and it's there where we're going to, uh, yeah, think about this question of what does it mean to be created in God's image? So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and read, I think, all of Genesis chapter 1. Okay, we're, we're going to read the entire chapter, Genesis chapter 1. For some of us, this might be something of a familiar chapter. I'm going to encourage all of us, as we come to this passage, to think freshly about it. Okay, don't just sort of, uh, yeah, let it be black and white words on a page, but, but think, what is the author intending to communicate to us here? And then particularly as we get to the description of man's being created in God's image, uh, what, yeah, what, what are the features of the passage? What is the author intending to communicate? Look at the structure, repeated words, repeated ideas, okay? So we're going to read all of Genesis chapter 1 and talk about it a little bit, okay? So maybe if I can have one person... Uh, you could raise your hand. One person read through verses 1 through 15. Somebody would raise their hand. Andy. And then my next volunteer, if you'd raise your hand, verses 1 through the rest, or verse 16 through the rest of the chapter. Anybody want to dish? Will you do that? Great. Chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. So Andy's got verses 1 through 15, and then you've got 16 through the end of the chapter. Let the earth 
crop vegetation is plants, fields, and seeds, <coughs> fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants, fields, and seeds according to their own kind, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. Mm. God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the third day. Mm. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater lights who rule the day, and the lesser lights who rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. Mm -hmm. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he mm -hmm. created them. Mm -hmm. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for and it was so. And God saw everything that he had, knew, he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. All right. So it's a good, good chunk that we just read there, and we have this description of God's creating, his, his initiating, and, and by his word, speaking the world into existence. And we, we see the way that, as each day goes along, we see that God is creating something else. Now, what's unique as we get to the sixth day and God's creation of man? What's unique about that explanation as we read through that? Anything sort of strike you as different when we get there? Okay, yeah, so you have this uh, sort of divine consideration and, and this, this uh, sort of consultation going on within the Godhead. Yeah? And just the, the 
then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so really you sort of see this uh, building to a climax, really, of what's going on, what's going to happen on the sixth day. It's sort of marked off as distinct. Anything else that we see? There's only one kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Phrases dropped, and man is now described as created in God's image, right? Not not just according to kind, like the rest of creatures, but in God's image. And yeah. 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 And and two. If so, if you look there at verse twenty-seven, if if you're using. So an ESV translation is going to indent that. Most translations are. And you're going to see that it's, it's sort of, uh, yeah, verse 27 is, is kind of set apart to show that this is actually poetic language here. You have a little piece of poetry inserted into this narrative to sort of show this, this crescendo of uh, a climax of what's going on as God creates. Right? So... Man is described as a dignified creature, set apart, different from the rest of creation. So now the question comes up as we look at all of this, though. This is Genesis 1. We know that we don't live in Genesis 1 anymore. So is there any evidence in the scriptures that show us, uh, after the fall, that man is still in God's image? So can anyone think about where we might gather that evidence that man is still described in God's image? We still have dominion over the animals, and um, we're the only ones with uh, uh, the intelligence, I guess. Yeah, good. So, so we still function in the way that, that sort of we were described to function in Genesis 1, so there seems to still be some kind of uh, similarities there. Um, so if you look in Genesis chapter 9, so this is post-flood, um, and this is the command given to Noah, sort of setting up uh, yeah, how governments are to function. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, we still have an affirmation of man's being made in God's image. So, Verse 6 of chapter 9, talking about whoever would kill a man, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, why is this so? Well, it's grounded in the reality, for God made man in his own image. So, so we still see that man's being made in God's image is affirmed. So, so when the fall happened, when Genesis 3 happened, when, when man rebelled against God, we see that the image was marred. The image was distorted. But the scripture forbids us from ever saying that the image of God in man was lost completely, that it was annihilated. Right? So the image is still retained. So the next question that we ask then is, what does all of this mean for us? Right? Like what, how does this affect the way that Certainly it affects the way that we think about ourselves, but how does this affect the way that we, that we live, that we carry out our, our day-to-day? So, so that's kind of going to be the question that we think about the rest of the time in class this morning, is, is what does it mean that we are made in God's image? 
so if you look there at number two on your handout, the image of God and man. And so you'll see on letter B and letter C sort of what, what I'm arguing to be uh, what it means to be made in God's image. So letter B there, we're made to reflect God. Letter C, we're made to represent God. Okay, so this is, um, there's certainly some overlap in that concept of reflecting and representing. I'm using those words to describe humans being. So a human being, our being, uh, so our very essence has value. We have inherent value and worth because we're in God's image. But then also the way that we function. So what we do is a byproduct of our being made in God's image. You'll, you'll kind of see what I'm, what I'm doing there. So let's, let's talk first about how we are to reflect God in our being. So we are made to, to mirror God. So as a mirror reflects, so man is made to reflect God's image. Right? So that's, 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 how, that's why we were created. We were created to reflect God. Right? So another way of putting this is to say that uh, in man, God becomes visible on earth. So we're not saying that man is God, but we're saying that man reflects God in such a way that when we look at other human beings, we are supposed to see something of what God is like. Now, we see in, in other passages, Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God, that creation shows us the glory of God, but it's only in mankind where uh, God is intended to be reflected. Right? God is, uh, has given man this, this privilege to, to reflect Him. Now, um, yeah, so one of the things that, that would be helpful as, as we think about the meaning of Genesis chapter 1 is that we, we want to read this as the original readers were, were meant to understand it, were meant to grasp it. And, and in that day particularly, we don't see it quite as much today. We certainly still construct statues. But in that day, kings would set up statues on the edges of the borders of their land. Right? And those, those statues would be representations of themselves, most normally. And what do you think that communicated as people go into that land? Who's in, who's in charge, right? You're, you're walking now into this king's territory. And so when we have this description of man being made to reflect God, to image him, uh, we can take what, yeah, what was going on in that day, how the hearers were supposed to understand it, and we, we go, oh yeah, now that makes sense. So man is put on earth to show that this is God's earth. This is God's territory. And, and man is, is there to reflect God in his character. This, this same idea is one of the reasons why we have the prohibition in Exodus of, of making images of God. Right? Because God himself is the one who made an image of himself. And he did that by making man a, a living, talking, breathing, walking image of himself. So, so you see this prohibition in Exodus sort of tied to this reality that God made man in, in his image. Now this bears itself out in a lot of applications, right? So we're talking about 
firstly, the, the being of man, the very essence of man. So, so this bears us out, firstly, with the implication that, that uh, being made in God's image is not a dignity that's achieved by human beings. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's not something that is worked for by human beings, but it is something that's given to every single human being that has ever lived. Ever. So it's, it's not something that we sort of all of a sudden have done enough good things to get ourselves to the status of being in God's image. But we are inherently made in God's image. So, so that's why murder is condemned in God's sight. Right? So that's what, where we saw in Genesis chapter 9 earlier. We see that the death penalty is, is given to uphold the dignity of man. Because when man takes another man's life, maliciously, that's, that's why the death penalty is instituted for somebody who would murder another person, right? So it actually is upholding the dignity of, of a human being, being made in God's image. That's why <coughs> racism, sexism, mistreatment of the elderly, widow, orphan, all of those things are condemned by God solely on this principle, Right, that man is created in God's image. Um, and, and also, there, there are also a number of other reasons why those things would be condemned. So, so God talks about in Exodus to not, to not mistreat those who are vulnerable because God himself is compassionate. Right, so he says, uh, I am compassionate, so you are to be compassionate. But, but just to, to also show that we don't, mistreat other people out here because they are image bearers. <clears throat> now, also, in our command to love our enemy and to pray for those who persecute us. So Matthew chapter 5, we see where, where Jesus exhorts his disciples to, to, to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Well, in that, in that instance, Jesus then goes on to explain, so that you may be <coughs> reflectors of your Father who's in heaven. So certainly he's telling them, you should be like God. It's also grounded in the reality that that other person is an image bearer of God. Right? So we see how this, this truth, this reality, undergirds so many of the commands that are in Scripture of how we are to relate to neighbor. Not only so, but it also has implications for just our natural capacities as human beings. Right? So not just value and dignity, but our God-given capacities as humans. So right now, we're sitting down and communicating, right? We are communicating beings, whether that be through talking, whether that be through uh, sign language. We, we communicate because God himself has revealed himself as a communicating God. He speaks to his people. That's one of the things that sets apart the true God from all the rest of the false gods is that the true God speaks. False gods don't speak. They're, they're, they can't do anything. They're lifeless. Also that we have moral capacities. Right? So whether or not those moral convictions are, are right or wrong, we all certainly have moral inclinations. And this is a reflection of the image of God, that God himself 
is a moral agent. He establishes what is moral. He himself is the perfection of all that is good and right. And so in that way, man is to reflect God. What other ways can we think of, maybe, that in our being, inherently who we are, we reflect God as image bearers? And explain that to us. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So, so definitely, kind of explaining further this idea of we we have moral capacities. We have the ability to love because God Himself is loving. Like that's why. You're just not going to find very many people in this world who are going to say that love is a bad thing. Now, now what it means to love, people are certainly going to disagree about that. And we, we ought to take our cues from the Lord on what it means to love. Yeah. So, so this is kind of speaking more to who we are, our, our being, right? So let's shift our attention now. Let's look at letter C, how we're made to, to represent God. And this speaks more about what we do, uh, our acts. And, and this is sort of a direct implication of who we are. So we're made uh, to, to be something, and we are, are made as beings in order that we may carry out certain acts. Right? So a toaster oven is designed to be a toaster oven, so that way it can toast toast. Right? So... It's not made to be a toaster oven, so that way it can be a basketball, right? So, like, it's going to fail in being a basketball. But to toast toast is going to do good at that, right? So we're going to see the implications then of, of what we're made to be now and, and how we carry those things out in, in doing. So in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, let's look back there. We see, okay, this description, man's made in God's image. Um, and what do we see... God doing the whole time before uh, he leads up to creating man. What do we see God doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's, he's creating, he's, he's using his authority to, to shape and to fashion creation. So there's certainly a difference in the sense that we don't create as human beings out of nothing, right? Like that's something that only God does. But there's certainly a connection in the way that God, when he uses his authority, he's going to give that authority to man now, right? So he's going to tell them to exercise dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every, every living thing that moves on the earth, Verse 28. So man, or God, gives man authority to wield on the earth. Right, so this is an implication then of what it means to be created in God's image. So we see here that authority is actually a good thing. Right? Authoritarianism is some, a product of the fall. It's when people use authority badly. Right? But authority here is, is a good thing. Man is to use it to, to bring about flourishing, to bring about uh, greater good in the garden. 
So man is created to rule over the earth. How is this carried out? Let's look at the language of what's used here of the man and woman as they're created. So how are they to exercise their authority? What are the words that would, would help us to clarify that? Yeah, so what are the words in this passage that help us to understand how we are to use our authority? So, particularly looking at verse 28 in chapter 1. Um, and then, also in chapter 2, we're going to have some further explanation on what their charge is in, in the garden to do. So what does it mean to subdue and to have dominion over? Yeah. And so why do you turn it into a cornfield? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, so mankind, by force, brings these creative elements into bondage, makes it to serve them, so that way it serves other people and it serves the rest of creation. Right? So, like that's the aim of exercising this authority. Exactly. Yeah. So. So mankind does not exercise this authority as an autonomous creature, right? We don't, we don't exercise this authority only for ourselves, as if we were the end of all of this. So, so this is, yeah, the distinction between thinking of ourselves somehow as not responsible to any god, right? So that, that would be, uh, yeah, how an atheist would think about how we are to live, but we're responsible to God in the way that we use our authority on this earth as stewards. But at the same time, the rest of the creative elements are not God themselves. Right? So, so we don't elevate creation to such an extent that we diminish the dignity of man. Right? So, so thinking about how we relate then to the rest of creation and to God is is absolutely fundamental in understanding rightly what it means to be in God's image. So how does this, uh, how does this play itself out then, um, just in our day-to-day? Think about the workplace. How does this play itself out in the workplace as being image-bearers of God? Yeah, amen. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the, the guy who just rubs you the wrong way all the time, or who comes to your desk and interrupts you from working all the time, uh, that person is made in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be any sort of uh, loving confrontation of, yeah, 
this is this is the workplace, so we are here to work. We're not here to, to just sort of shoot the breeze all the time. Um, but it does mean that we treat them uh, in a way that we seek their good always. Right? We're never to seek to harm them. Yeah, that's right. So, so by implication of our being made in the image of God, uh, that's going to control the places that we would choose to work. There are some places that we can just never work as Christians. Um, so Christians could never work in a place where the image of God and a person is totally pushed down and diminished and denied them. Right? So we can think of a number of places where, where that would happen. Yeah, that's, that's good. Also in the way that we do work, right? So the motivations of our work. Right? So we're not just there to sort of move stuff around and then come back the next day and then try and move stuff around again. And, but, but there's actually an intention of contributing good to society contributing good to the well-being of other people all around us. That's done through some incredible technological work that I have no idea the ins and outs of that sort of stuff. The sciences, the arts, all of these things are, are disciplines that are under the rule and the lordship of Christ that can be employed to serve other people. Yeah. Yeah. In the same way. So, so how does mom use her authority? So, yeah, moms, help me out here. How, how are moms intended to use their authority at home? Hmm. Sorry? Mm, actions, yeah. Mm. And, and it's not just a sort of be good for goodness sake, right? right? Like that's how this is entirely different than sort of just this, this moralism of the chief end is just to, to be the best person you can be, right? But we do this because we're made to reflect God, to be like Him. No, it's okay. Yeah, amen. I mean, yeah, the temptation, the flesh in us uh, would want to see, um, yeah, really any human being, but particularly humans who are under the same roof as us and who are normally smaller than us, uh, as somehow in the way 
uh, of what we're trying to accomplish. But this instruction teaches us quite differently, right? That as image bearers, uh, our children are to be cherished, to be instructed, to be appreciated, and to be pointed to, to Jesus. Joshua? Um, that's really good. Brother asked what about the moms. That's a very encouraging question to think through. Um, I would also just encourage us to remember, like, yeah, the moms can do this in the in the home, but not only limited, they're not limited to only being at home working that's right. as a parent. Yeah. But they can also work in yeah. different ways or something like that as well. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I mean, so, so this has implications for everywhere, right? Like, no matter where you're at, uh, this has got implications, right? It, it shapes the way that, that we live. It's good, guys. And so, <clears throat> we've, yeah, so we've thought about the way that we are to reflect God, to represent Him. And it's really in this context, I mean, we, we would call these, in, in our right minds, we would say that these are incredible privileges, these are incredible blessings that God has lavished upon us so that way we can represent Him to the world. Right? So if you think about, um, yeah, called to represent your home, that's, that's a privilege. You're representing mom and dad. You're called to represent a state official. That's, that's pretty good privilege. Called to represent your nation. That's a big privilege, right? Here we're called to represent the God of the universe. Right? So God has lavished us with these blessings. And it's really in this context that helps us to see the deceitfulness and the destruction of sin. Right? Because it's in this context that man chooses to rebel. Genesis 3 Adam and Eve take of the fruit, they eat, rebel against God, and plunge humanity with them into sin. And now, that image is not lost, but it's tarnished. It's, it's not destroyed, it's fallen. And now we use these image-bearing capacities for ourselves. We are man in revolt. We are glory thieves now who still have the image of God in them. And, and really, yeah, if you think about it, the corruption of that which is best is the worst kind of corruption, right? So when we think about the corruption of man, we're talking about the best of creation that's corrupted, and this is the worst kind of corruption. That's why it's such, such a scandal that man sins and rebels against his maker. But it's in that context that we see that Jesus come in to the picture as the image of God par excellence, Right, so, so Colossians chapter 1 is going to describe Jesus. Uh, yeah, you know what? Let's have somebody turn there. Colossians chapter 1, if you could re- read verse 15. And then let me get, so could I get a volunteer to read that? If you'd raise your hand, Joshua. And then also uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, if somebody else could raise their hand. Cody. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Joshua, once you get to Colossians 1.15, if you could read that. Right. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And who is that he referring to? Jesus. To Jesus, right. So, Cody, 2 Corinthians 
Chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The glory of Christ. Christ, the one who's come, he himself is the image of God. So Christ is the image of God for us. Where we fail to measure up to be the image of God, Christ comes in and is the image of God for us. And as we think about Jesus' life, how does his being the image of God, how is that played out? How do we see that played out in his life as he lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, John chapter 4. My food, like the thing that gives me energy and sustenance is to do the will of my Father. That is what gives me great pleasure. Right? So he is always wholly oriented to God, to his Father in the way that he lives. How else do we see that? Amen. He never sinned. Yeah, never sin. So he never sins against God in this vertical dimension, never sins against man, right? But instead, rather than not just not doing people wrong, but always doing that which is good for other people too. How do we see that? What, what ways does Jesus show us that? Miracles and teachings, yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, so, so we can't. I mean, we can't calm the ocean in the way that Jesus uniquely calms the sea when it's raging. But we do see that through Jesus's miracles, he has this. Um, yeah, he has this possession and ability to harness creation in such a way that it's going to give glory to God. So, I mean, we can at least learn something from that in the way that we ourselves are, are, to, are to do that. And then, all, yeah, in the way that he serves other people. And most chiefly, in the way that he is going to tell us that, uh, yeah, so we talked about how love itself, how we have the capacity to love, how that shows uh, and models and imitates God. Well, Jesus is going to tell us that no greater love has no one than this. That what? He lays his life down for his friends. And Jesus, not just after explaining us and telling us about that, doesn't just explain it, but he goes and imitates it and shows us. He shows us what it looks like in full picture. And he doesn't just, he doesn't lay down his life for his friends, but for his enemies, right? So that way they can be brought in to be friends of God, right? And it's through his act of offering himself up to God the Father to take away our sins now that man is restored to be able to properly image God. So we, we are certainly image bearers of God, though fallen, but now through what Christ has accomplished, we are restored to a capability of rightly imaging Him. Right? Not, not in a distorted way. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 is going to say it this way. And say to, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through, through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, 
which was created after the likeness of God, the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Galatians chapter 3 commands us to put on Christ more explicitly, to, to put on the Lord Jesus. And it, it means to exist as a new person in the member of God's family, to, to put on Christ. So, so this idea of imaging God, we see it's not just an individual type thing. Right? It's not just something that we do uh, locked up in a room, just us and our Bibles. But there is, there's actually a relational dimension to the way that we are to image Him. And, and the way that God is imaged, uh, yeah, the way that God has chosen to image Himself now in redemption is through the church, right? And it's the church now that is to look like Jesus. Not perfectly. We're, we're not there yet. Uh, but we are to imperfectly image Jesus, to model Jesus. And it's in the church where, where we do see what God is like. Right? How, what ways do we see what God is like in the church today? Diversity. Diversity. Uh, Mm, yeah. I see the same thing in Jesus elevating yeah. those maybe that are on the outside of society, yeah. you know, the, those sinners, and bring their image of God to light. Yeah. yeah. And and I would add just one um, one qualification yeah. to diversity, uh, and I would say unity in diversity. Right. So so there are lots of diverse schools out there that the kids hate one another because they're different. But in the church, uh, there's diversity, but there's no longer a hatred. There's not supposed to be a hatred because Christ has, in His flesh, made that which was two, one, by reconciling Jew and Gentile, by reconciling slave, free, by reconciling all of us to one another. Right? So... So um, just yeah. So just just a clarification there, not to like throw you under the bus or anything. But you're you're right in the sense that God in Himself is diverse in the sense that we have God in three persons. Uh, he exists as three persons, but as one distinct nature, in the sense that we now, as we come here as Christians, we share in the same Spirit. We are united by the Spirit, reconciled to one another, but we're all quite different people. Yeah, praise God. Joshua? Uh, now we say holiness. Like in Ephesians uh, 2.4, like we're being recreated in the image of Christ in true righteousness and holiness. Yes. So the church yeah. reflects, to the world, the church reflects the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Amen. It's good, y'all. 
And yeah, they're, they're on the back of your sheet. So the church is the image of God. But as we know, that, that reflecting the image of God is, is not yet complete. It's not yet perfect. It's restored, uh, not yet perfected. So Romans chapter 8, verse 29, if y'all want to flip there with me. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And once you get there, somebody would read that. So he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son. Is that conformation, the conforming, is that yet complete? No. When are we going to see that complete? When he comes back. So 1 John talks about when he appears, then we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him as he is. And so this, this helps us, right? So Anthony Hokema, who is helpful for me just in, in walking through, he has, a, he has a really great book on uh, created in God's image, if anyone wants to do a little bit deeper study. This is out of, out of that book. He says, in order to see the Christian view of man and its total brilliance, therefore we must not just go back to the man as he was originally created. Rather, we must go forward to see man as he will one day be. Right? And so I think that helps us now, too, as we relate to one another. Because we don't just see our, our brothers and sisters in Christ simply as people who are different from us, but we're sort of, yeah, now we're united together, but now we just sort of have to uh, forbear with them and put up with them, even though they have sort of these irritable faults, and Lord help us, come save us one day. Right? Like we think about them as they will one day be. Right? So Jesus talks about his disciples who will one day shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Right? So we think of one another in that same way, as those who will one day shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Right? And that should help in the way that we aim to give glory to God in the way that we live our, and relate to one another now, in the way that we live in the church, the way that we, we truly cultivate love with one another. Right? <clears throat> and so we see that there is certainly a continuity between the way that man was designed to be uh, and to, to reflect, to represent God, and the way that we're being redeemed to do that again. But there's also a discontinuity there. Because as Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians 15, he's going to say this in verse 49, that just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, referring to Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So, so y'all, we're not, for those who are Christians, we're not just going back to how things once were. We aren't just going back to the garden. Though things were good in the garden, things were great. God and man had perfect fellowship. We're not just going back there, though. We're 
going to be image bearers of the man of heaven, the spiritual man, the man who was led by the Spirit, Jesus Christ. We, who are now sealed with the Spirit, will one day have spiritual bodies right, to, to bear His image perfectly. And so we, yeah, we stand back and we look and we say, praise God for what He's doing in His church. In, uh, and not just restoring the image of man, but, but really improving it, exalting it in such a way that we're not just going to bear the image of the man of dust, Adam, but we are being made to be like Jesus. Any last thoughts or questions on, yeah, what does this mean? How, how, are the, how is there continuity? How is there discontinuity? Other things that we've discussed. John? I just have one question. When you talk about section two, are we still in the image of God in using Genesis 9 6? So it seems like Genesis 1, we're made in the image of God. And then in Romans, it's like we will be made in the image of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. 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 So, so that's where I, I think it's important to still to show that there there's certainly continuity between the two in the way that the New Testament talks about being made to be the image of Christ, and the Old Testament speaking about the image of God and man. I think there's discontinuity there because when the New Testament talks about it, it seems to be primarily in moral qualities that, that they're speaking. But in the Old Testament, it seems to be primarily about just who man is as a person. And so I think you're right in saying that there's certainly a fall that happens between creation and Genesis 9. So there's certainly a distortion um, and, and so man uh, does not image God accurately, but that speaks more to what he does rather than uh, what he is made to be, who he is inherently. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that as long as we can hold on to the reality that we're still in God's image, in the sense that we have inherent dignity and value, every human, uh, but then in the New Testament, we see that um, yeah, the, the goal, the aim, is, is bearing the image of Christ, being conformed in, in moral character. Um, not just how we exist as a human, but, but having the character of Christ. Um, yeah, be happy to talk with you more about that. It's, it's, it's a good question. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, that's the the mystery, the miracle of the New Testament is that in this new covenant now, it's 
It's we're still participants in this, but it's God who does it through us, right? So there's real change. There's real effort even on our part, but it's God who's working that miracle out. Like you said, as we, as we press into the word, as we depend upon Christ, as we're led by his spirit. Um, Piper would say that we, John, John Piper, who, yeah, he's a trusted teacher. He talks about how we, we enact the miracle is how he would describe the new covenant. Um, God does the miracle, and then we act it out. Um, yeah, good question. Eric, I think you had one more thing. Just to underscore what you were trying to say before, and, and you and John about being Adam and, and Christ, when Romans 5 talks about um, speaking of Adam, who was a type of what is to come. So mm-hmm. the reality of who we are in the new humanity, the new creation, is, is always through Christ. Mm-hmm. So like you said, it's not going back to you know that, that state, which is wonderful, but Adam was always a type pointing to Christ. Yeah, amen. Amen. Yeah, praise God. That's good. Y'all, we're out of time. Um, I have somebody pray for us, praising God for yeah for this teaching that He's given us, and praying that He'd help us to to live it out. Somebody could do that. Joshua, thank you, brother. We praise you that. and you are conforming us into his image. So we praise you. Lord, we pray that God, we be a people who purify ourselves as your son is pure, mm. that we would behold Christ day by day and moment by moment, and that uh, by your grace and through the power of your spirit, you would conform us more and more into his image until that day that we would be like him, Jesus. Mm. And so, Father, may we uh, be consumed in relentless worship Mm-hmm. Cast off things that, that cling so close and sin, and, and Lord, that we would just long to, to reflect your son, seeing that you are, uh, Lord, you are conforming us into his image. Mm-hmm. And so, Father, we pray that you would do so, and that we would long for that. And uh, mm-hmm. God, you would use this uh, the gathering to conform us more to the image of Christ as we prepare to hear your word preached and sing and take of the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you all for being here.